We are in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, going through a series on the Gospel of John entitled 1 to 12. Let me begin with a, a question. Is there a life storm that you would never want to face? What I mean by life storm is something like financial bankruptcy or a terminal illness or a family breakup. Is there a storm that you imagine that when you just think about it, it already paralyzes you. For you, it might be academic failure or persecution or war or famine or a prison sentence. Is there a a storm that you see other people passing through or something that you see on the horizon and when you think about it, it just fills you with fear? I want to begin with a few stories. In October of uh, 2017, Tess Guevara, uh, one of our Willingdon members, there's a picture of Tess. She's down here in the second row, actually. Tess and uh, Warren and Bernadette, they're three beautiful children. Um, Tess, she noticed that she was uh, bleeding from her uterus and her gynecologist requested an ultrasound and a biopsy. And when the results came in, she was shocked to hear that the diagnosis was endometrial cancer, cancer of the inner lining of the uterus. Her gynecologist referred her to the BC Cancer Agency to receive treatment. After waiting for a month for an appointment, her doctors were actually quite concerned. The oncologists were very concerned because the biopsy had revealed an aggressive form of cancer with the potential of spreading. The doctors recommended the removal of the uterus followed by chemotherapy and or radiation. It was a scary time for her. She was unprepared for this diagnosis. And so why the storm? We'll come back to her story in a minute. Another story, Wes Herman. Wes Herman is the founder and CEO of Woods Coffee. Maybe you've been to a Woods Coffee shop. They have about 19 locations from Bellevue all the way to Tawasson. Uh, It's a Pacific Northwest brand that's quite well known. Uh, Wes Herman, he was uh, a successful young businessman in Southern California, originally born in Canada, but he was doing business in Southern California, and he decided to make a trip from California up to Penticton, where his grandparents lived. On the way, he stopped in a park near Seattle and was bit by a mosquito, and he contracted viral encephalitis. He was 35 years uh, old at the time. Of the seven people who contracted viral encephalitis in that park, he was the only one who survived. He survived, but he was then disabled. He was unable to work. And so for five years, he he supported himself and his family through uh, disability insurance payments. And when that that five-year period came to an end, he signed an agreement with the insurance company that uh, he would not go after the insurance company for more money and they would not come after him. The insurance company said, hey, we actually overpaid you. You got one month too much. Please return that one month sum and we're done. So he wrote a check from another state, sent it to the insurance company and thought it was over. About a year later, he had already started Woods Coffee. About a year later, 
uh, two FBI agents appeared on his doorstep. And they said, you're being indicted on one count of mail fraud, and you are facing five years in prison and a fine of $750,000. I don't know how American law works, but I've (laughs) confirmed that the story is true. So he had just started the business, Woods Coffee, together with his wife and four children, actually began as a homeschool project, and he didn't know what to do. And his lawyers said, actually, instead of fighting the FBI, we recommend that you accept a one-year prison sentence and a lower fine of $250,000. Made no sense to him. Had huge ramifications for him, for his family, his reputation, obviously, his church life. So he left the business with his wife and four children, went to prison. Why? Illness, disability, business left with wife and children, one-year prison sentence, fine. Why the storm? We'll come back to his story. We're in the Gospel of John. And the overriding question in the Gospel of John is, who's Jesus? You'll remember that Pastor James talked about the feeding of the 5,000. So after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowds want to make Jesus king. They believe that sign of the feeding of the 5,000 to be messianic, and they think that their liberator has arrived. They want to make him king by force and lead a revolution against the Romans. Jesus refuses to become king on their terms, and so he withdraws. His kingdom is not of this world. We read in John chapter 6, verse 15, these words. John 6, 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. In Matthew and Mark's accounts, of this story, Jesus actually compels the disciples to get into the boat. He sends them across the sea to Capernaum, and then he dismisses the crowds, and he withdraws. In the gathering darkness, Jesus goes up the high hills, up the mountainside, alone to be with the Father. He has just rejected the groundswell of enthusiasm of that crowd that wanted to make him king, and he needs to be with the Father. This is his pattern. He withdraws to be with the Father. Now, where are the disciples? They're trying to cross the sea. Mark tells us that they rode most of the night. They were completely fatigued. John notes that they have rode about three or four miles, which is five or six kilometers. The Sea of Galilee, if we're thinking in miles, the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long, eight miles wide, about 20 one kilometers long, 13 kilometers wide. So if they have rowed about five or six kilometers, they're actually in the middle of the sea. Suddenly there's this tremendous windstorm. 
crossing the lake, creating great waves. The sea lies about 600 feet below sea level. That's 180 meters below sea level. And so because of that, some interesting things can happen. D.A. Carson writes in his commentary, cool air from the southeastern tablelands can rush in to displace the warm, moist air over the lake, churning up the water in a violent squall. So where are the disciples? They're on a rough, tumultuous sea. Matthew and Mark note that it's about the fourth watch. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. So they're in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. Where are the winds of adversity blowing in your life today? Maybe you've just come out of a storm. Maybe you are in a storm or you're afraid that you're going to enter in a storm. Storms are just a part of our lives. Are there waves rocking your boat today? It may be a financial storm. Maybe you can't make the payments. It may be a health storm. Maybe you have been just diagnosed with a serious illness or you suffer from ongoing anxiety. It may be a family storm. Relationships in the family are broken and you have no idea how they would ever be healed. Maybe it's an academic storm. You're in the middle of your semester and the assignments are just piling up. And as you look toward the end of the semester, you have no idea how you're going to get through it. It may be the storm of our society and you're just so uncertain about the moral direction of our nation. What kind of storm are you facing today? Could it be that Jesus has actually not only permitted you to enter the storm, but sent you into it. In John chapter 6, Jesus compelled the disciples to get out on the sea. For the disciples, the storm was not the wrong place to be. Perhaps they thought, Lord, we really expect a different outcome when we obey you. Like you send us out on the sea to go to Capernaum, we would expect calm waters, smooth sailing, wind at our backs, just floating right to Capernaum. Lord, the feeding of the 5,000 on the mountainside, that was amazing. The miracles, awesome. Your teaching was fabulous. But we didn't sign up for a storm. The disciples are a long way from shore and there is no way that they can get back to where they came from or go to where they're going without going through the storm. Sometimes you want to escape the storm, right? I usually do. But what if the Lord has actually ordained it for us? Jesus sends his disciples into storms. This crisis moment for the disciples It's for their growth. The Lord has a purpose in it. It's not for the crowds. It's for Jesus' disciples. Of course, the question we always ask, or at least I ask in the middle of a storm, well, where are you, Lord? (laughs) I'm here in the middle of the storm. Where are you? The disciples don't know that Jesus is up on the mountain. They don't know that Jesus actually sees them. Mark 6, verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. Jesus actually sees the disciples on the sea struggling. And what's he doing? He's with the Father. He's praying. 
He's interceding. Jesus watches over and intercedes for his disciples. Jesus sends them into the storm, goes to be with the Father, and he prays. I often don't remember this about the Lord. (laughs) I remember that he is my Savior, my Deliverer, that he is my Lord, but I often don't remember that he actually is interceding for me. Do you remember that? Do you contemplate that? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost at all times those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. So you may feel alone and helpless in the middle of the storm, but the truth is that the Lord is not only with you, he is watching over you and is interceding for you. And then in the middle of the storm, Jesus comes to his disciples. The language is that, is that he just walked effortlessly over the waves. Now, if you read some commentaries on John, some commentators, they struggle with Jesus walking on the water, and so they'll say, well, actually, the boat was close to the land, and Jesus was walking along the beach. It just looked like he was walking on the water. Well, if you read the account in Matthew, Mark, and John, you realize that this is not what the story tells us. The story tells us that the disciples were actually in a boat out in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, in the dark. Maybe they didn't understand who it was coming to them because of the wind and the waves and because of fear, because they just didn't expect him to show up. But they were out on the lake and they were frightened. They weren't frightened because they were close to the beach. It's a worldview question. If you believe that God created the universe, if you believe that God resurrected Jesus from the dead, then walking on water is nothing. What happens in the story? Disciples, they're exhausted. They've been fighting the storm. They're ready to give out. And then Jesus comes walking. And they're frightened by his appearance. As I said, they don't see him. They don't, maybe because there's water in their eyes, I don't know, but they don't recognize him. And that's so true of Jesus. He often appears in our storms when we least expect him to. It's often when we're at the end of our resources, we're ready to give up. We've lost all hope that the Lord manifests himself and reveals himself in a new way. Jesus comes and manifests himself to his disciples on his terms. It's an important point. Remember, the crowds wanted to make him king by force on their terms. Jesus refuses, but he comes to the disciples on his terms. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we ask the question, well, does the Lord come in every circumstance? Are there times when the Lord just doesn't reveal himself? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, these are the words of Jesus being quoted by the author of Hebrews. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
We can confidently say that Jesus will never leave us alone, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the storm. Sometimes we're so caught up in our our adversities, our afflictions, our, our troubles, that we don't see Jesus present in our situation. We don't believe that he's present to care and to deliver us. But the truth is that he's always present. Verse 20 of John 6, Jesus just says a few words. It is I. Do not be afraid. In Matthew and Mark, you have another phrase, take courage, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. I believe that John removes that first phrase to focus our attention on those first words of Jesus in his gospel. It is I. It means I am. What Jesus is saying is what God says to Moses from the burning bush, I am who I am. Jesus is the great I am. That's what he's revealing to his disciples. As we read through the gospel of John, it becomes more and more clear as Jesus says, I am before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus reveals himself as the great I am, and that changes everything. Because of who Jesus is, the disciples have no need to be afraid. And because of who Jesus is in our lives, in the middle of our storms, we do not need to be afraid because his perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus may not do what we expect him to do, but we can know that he will reveal himself to us, no matter what the situation, on his terms. Whatever the situation, whatever the storm, it's always much more about meeting Jesus than getting through the storm. When I'm in a storm, the way that I'm wired, I'm thinking, okay, I just need to get through this. God, come help me get through it to the other side. And I don't sit in the middle of the storm and say, okay, Lord, how will you show yourself to me now? Right here while the wind is blowing and the sea is raging. So when the storm hits, have hope. The Lord will come to you in the middle of the storm. He's the one who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, Job 9.8. Returning to Tess Guevara's story, I'll quote her. This is what she recalls. My daughter, Bernadette, and I prayed to God for healing every day. I asked for prayer at weekend services. An elderly gentleman prayed for my cancer to just shrivel up and disappear. I asked for prayer from many Christian friends. After another month of anxious waiting, I got a call from the BC Cancer Agency. I was scheduled for surgery and then rescheduled for surgery. Uh, Surgery actually happened on January 26th, 2018. The Lord gave me peace through Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In my prayer time, God reminded me that he was in control. She continues, The day before my surgery, my granddaughter, Hannah, who was just four years old then, said to me, Lola, Grandma, Did you know that Jesus is the best healer of all? He's better than any doctor. And did you know that even while you are still on your way to the hospital, God has already healed you? I was so shocked. 
God was using her to encourage me. Matthew 21, 16 says, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. One week after my surgery, the surgeon called me, and she said that the pathology results had come in, and they had found no trace of cancer in my specimen and no evidence of metastasis. Some say metastases, so... Everything was benign. When we asked the physicians how this could happen, how could the biopsy results indicate that I had an aggressive cancer and now the pathology results reveal no trace of cancer? They couldn't explain it. My daughter, who is a registered nurse, that's Bernadette, eliminated any possibility of a misdiagnosis or medical error. She verified with the entire medical team. I can see Bernadette doing this. She verified with the entire medical team that no mistake or error had occurred in the collection, handling, and pathology of the specimens. The Lord has healed me. For this I give all the glory and praise to our Lord Jesus Christ. This experience has strengthened my faith and drawn our family closer together. Whenever we're in a storm, the Lord is at work in the life of the one in the middle of the storm. But he also is at work in the lives of those around the one in the storm. The Lord is always doing much more than we could ever imagine. Jesus can walk into our situation at any time. He is sovereign. He has authority. In reality, he is always present. Even when the wind is blowing hard and the seas are rough, we can experience the effect of his calming presence. Reminds us of the words of a well-known hymn, Be still my soul, be still my soul, when dearest friends depart, and all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe thy sorrow and thy fears. Be still my soul, the waves and winds shall know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Because of Jesus, because of who he is, the great I am, The disciples have nothing to fear. Later in John 6, Jesus says this to his disciples, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is why Paul writes in Romans, Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now in John 6... It is critical for the disciples that they meet Jesus, that their vision of Jesus be enlarged. What's going to happen? Well, before the end of John chapter 6, the crowds are going to turn against Jesus. The tension around Jesus is is going to continue to escalate in the coming days. They will need to have the conviction that Jesus is is God, that he is the great I am, that he truly does have the words of life for him. How would they have faced the opposition of the crowds had Jesus not revealed himself to them in the middle of the storm? That's why the Lord sends us into storms, 
so that our understanding of who he is may grow deeper, stronger, our vision grow, that we live with greater faith and courage. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, Peter sees Jesus out on the water, and this is what he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Do you feel that the Lord has asked you to walk out on the waters? Maybe out of obedience to Jesus, you've just taken a step of faith. You're entering into new territory. It's a new phase of life. I remember that experience of resigning from another role where I felt really comfortable and the Lord asked me to move on and it felt like I was walking on water, that it was just too much for me. Do you recognize that Peter actually said yes to Jesus' invitation while the storm was raging? That's what Matthew 14 tells us. Sometimes we think that, okay, Jesus calmed the storm, and then Peter got out and walked toward Jesus. No. Jesus invites Peter to come to him while the wind is still blowing, while the sea is rough. And so as disciples, Jesus invites his disciples to exercise faith in the middle of the storm. It's in the middle of the storm that the Lord invites us to turn our eyes on him. Wes Herman Wes Herman, the founder and CEO of Woods Coffee, his imprisonment made absolutely no sense to him. Why would the Lord allow that to happen? His uh, newly found business, Woods Coffee, it just went through tremendous struggles while he was in prison. He knew in prison, he realized in prison that he needed to go deeper in his faith. If he was going to answer the questions that he would be asked by those outside of the prison, if he was going to ask the questions of his in, answer the questions of his inmates, he would need to go deeper in his faith. And so he immersed himself in the scriptures. He knew that he needed to meet Jesus like never before. And as he immersed himself in the scriptures, he realized that the people around him really needed Jesus. He started a Bible study. Uh, Wes says that a lot of people came to his Bible study. He had a captive audience, no pun intended. People came. Wes met Jesus in prison. Those around him had the privilege of hearing the word of God being taught to them. No matter what the storm, no matter where we find ourselves, Jesus comes to us. He's present to reveal himself to us. One Indian leader, David Manuel, has said this, sometimes it's hard to follow in Jesus' footsteps because sometimes he walks on water. (laughs) Jesus invites us to come to him in the middle of the storm. It reminds us, of course, of a song we sing, Oceans, uh, you call me out upon the waters. The great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep my faith will stand. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. 
Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. So I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours and you are mine. Amen. Peter walks out, and when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, looks at the waves and the wind, he begins to sink. And what does the Lord do? The Lord knows we're weak. Chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. The Lord is present. And when the disciples welcome Jesus and Peter back into the boat, that's when the gale ceases. That's when the storm subsides. Jesus intervenes and calms the storm for his disciples. Now, you'd think that the disciples would be fine at this point, but in the Old Testament, the only one that has authority over the wind, over the seas, is God himself. So now they're awestruck. They realize that they have much more than a prophet in the boat. God himself, the Lord Almighty, is there with them. And in Matthew, they worship him. You see, at the beginning of John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowds want to make Jesus king, and he will, be not, will not be crowned on their terms. Later on in in John chapter 6, you realize that the crowds are actually there because they think that with Jesus, they're going to get free bread. Again, Jesus will not be crowned on their terms. But in the middle of the storm where the disciples find themselves, Jesus reveals himself to be the God Almighty. He is the king. He is king everywhere. So he will be crowned, yes, because he is Lord of heaven and earth. So much more than the disciples ever could have imagined. And then John remembers that as soon as Jesus was in the boat, their boat was touching the shore. They'd reached their destination. Jesus carries his disciples to their destination. Disciples may have remembered the words of the psalmist in Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven, safely to the other side. Disciples, we've been talking about this discipleship pathway and different phases along the way, a way to help us think about what it looks like to follow Jesus. We've talked about explorers and hikers and climbers and guides. So if you are an explorer, then how might you respond to a storm? Well, you might just think, oh, the storm has no meaning. I, we just have to fix this thing. Or if you're a hiker and you find yourself in a storm, you've just, you know, initially placed your faith in Jesus, you might think, boy, I must have done something wrong. Why am I in a storm if I'm following Jesus? Everything should go right. If you're a climber and you're in the middle of the storm, you may be asking the question, well, what is the lesson that I have to learn here? And if you're a guide, then I think a guide would ask, okay, Lord, I'm in the middle of a storm. How do you want to reveal yourself to me, Lord? Lord, how are you going to show your heart to me in the middle of this storm? I want to meet you. 
This summer, I shared with you the story of Phil Vischer. Phil Vischer created the DVD series Veggie Tales, and then later uh, What's in the Bible. I come back to his story because I think it's appropriate here, but also because I, I heard him tell his story this last week together with some others here in Vancouver. And it's fun to hear him impersonate VeggieTale characters. How many of you watched VeggieTales? True confession now. I did. I watched with my kids. I still don't know why I, I don't have a water buffalo. But Phil with his team, they were terribly successful. They landed um, VeggieTale videos in a third of all American households. That's just stunning. 65 million copies were sold. Phil, a Christian, and he believed that this was God's calling on his life, and so he was bringing together his Christian faith and his love for animation and filmmaking, and he truly believed that God was using this for the growth of his kingdom, and he believes that God was using it. And then at the peak of Phil's success, everything turned upside down. Perhaps over-aggressive expansion, but also a lawsuit, different things happening, and all of a sudden, his company, Big Idea Productions, was facing bankruptcy in 2003. Phil thought for sure that God was going to save his dream. After all, it was in God's interest that God would save his company, Big Idea Productions, his characters, his dream. And as the storm was raging, he had a prayer time with some of the people from his company. And at the end of the prayer time, one of the women there came up to him and said, Phil, I don't think that the storm is about big idea productions and God. I think it's about you and God. And that was all she said, and she walked away. And that word, together with some other things that God was speaking to Phil, led him to truly begin to seek God's face. And he realized in the middle of that storm that it truly was about him and God, that he had lost his first love. And all that the Lord wanted was that he be in relationship with him. You see, the essence of every storm is about meeting Jesus. Let me say that again. At the essence of every storm... It's about meeting Jesus. The Lord wants us to meet him, to know him, to understand that he is the great I am, that he is with us, that he loves us, that that's his heart for us. You see, often we think that what it's about is, okay, the miracle that's going to happen, and the Lord does work miracles. But it's not just about the miracles. It's about meeting Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? So my, excuse me, my prayer for myself and for you is that we would meet him. May we meet him in the storm today or the storm that we face tomorrow. May we be filled with hope to meet Jesus our Lord, our Savior, our healer, the one who intercedes for us. Amen? Let's stand for prayer.
So just a few questions for our reflection as we think about God's Word. What is the, what is the storm that you find yourself in today? What are the questions that you're asking? Do you hope to meet Jesus in the storm? Do you expect Jesus to come to you? Could it be that the Lord wants to take you deeper? Where is the Lord asking you to exercise faith? Maybe you have never exercised faith in Jesus. You have never surrendered your life to him. But today you know that you need Jesus. That you need new life. That you need a savior. And so if that's you and you want to pray to Jesus for the first time, I just invite you to pray this prayer with me. It'll be on the screen behind me. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you, to come to you. Please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I repent, Lord and surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. I want to be like you, Jesus. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you today, I just would encourage you to go to the I Said Yes banner in the lobby or to the Welcome Center. We'd love to encourage you in your journey. And now a prayer for for all of us who are disciples of Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are present in us by your Spirit, present among us. Thank you again for your word, Lord. Thank you that you are the truth and that you, the truth, you set us free. May we abide in your word. Your promise is that if we know you, if we are in you, we will be free indeed. And so, Lord, because of who you are, we can thank you for the storms because the storms drive us to you. And there are opportunities for us to, to meet you. Thank you that you're watching over us, interceding for us. Thank you, Lord, that in the middle of the storm, we can exercise faith in you. Uh, You're the great I am, and you're present to calm our hearts by your spirit. Lord, may we be ready for your self-revelation. May we meet you. May we understand that in every storm, you are always the destination, and it's about meeting you. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Remembrance Day weekend.